Hello, it is Cameron. Welcome back to another episode of This Might Be Helpful, and I sincerely hope that it is. Today, we're going to dive straight into some Q&As. I have received about 500 of these questions in the last 20-odd minutes since I posted the Instagram story, so if I do not get to yours, I apologize, but it will be going into the data bank for future episodes. And we are going to get started straight away with question number one, which is, what made you get into meditation in the first place? Hmm. I was cold to try it. Uh, I first came across it in just a YouTube video, a guided meditation. I can't remember who it was or what they said, but I didn't really resonate with it. Um, when you are receiving a guided meditation or even a, a yogic instruction from someone who might be repeating what they've heard without having tried to really understand what they're saying themselves. There's kind of a level of inauthenticity that comes through. And that could have just been me at the time. I might have just been more resistant to what that person was saying, so I didn't resonate. But what I'm trying to say is meditation is a more uh, accessible and enjoyable process when you are starting with the guided meditations from people that you really resonate with so that you get that authentic download and connection to who you're listening to. The first person that really stuck with me for the meditative practice was Sam Harris because I was coming at it from a perspective of neuroscience and Sam Harris and his app Waking Up is one of the most incredible apps you can get, but it was that convergence between neuroscience and spirituality, trying to not quantify the mysticism surrounding it, but at least try and make correlations with the neurobiological nature that we inhabit. And through Sam Harris's guided meditations, especially on things like problem solving and uh, acceptance and introspective cues for understanding our ego more, it was a really utilitarian style of meditation that was not as much about connecting to a higher source or a higher power or the divine self. It was mostly about developing some tools that allow us to flow through life without getting snagged on so many of the branches and brambles that sit on the banks of the river of existence. So what made you get into meditation in the first place? I was curious. That is really the foundational answer for why I do anything at all is I'm curious. I tend to not engage in things that I'm not curious in. Um, sometimes that results in consequences. And that's part of being an adult is understanding that actions have consequences and that we have a role to play in those consequences. But in general, curiosity is the compass that I use to point me in the direction that I want to go. And if you don't know where your curiosity is leading you, good. Next question, are you vegan? No. Next question, have you found your calling in life? If so, when did that happen? I tend not to use the absolutes of uh, ideas like this. I don't believe that there is one single calling. There might be, uh, and I mightn't have tapped into that yet. I would say that at this point in my life, my one calling is to help people. I'm obsessed with optimizing the human experience, optimizing for connection, for resilience, for a mindset that can 
navigate the perpetual chaos of existence in a way that benefits yourself, your family, your friends, your community, and the greater world at large. So my calling in life is finding better and better ways to help optimize that human experience. This might change day by day. If you had asked me 10 years ago what my calling in life was, I would have probably said musician. A few years after that, I would have said photographer. A few years after that, I might have said uh, traveling adventure photographer nurse. So your calling is something that updates itself over time as long as you continue engage, continue to engage in things that you are curious about. Next question. Building confidence in one's craft while knowing you aren't at the same level as others. If you're going to look at others, look at them for inspiration and motivation, not comparison. Comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, and they never have what you think they have. You have what you project onto them that they have. And so it's really important that you understand that nobody has exactly what you want and nobody is doing exactly what you want to do. And we can use those people as inspiration and form of catalyst, something to perpetuate our forward movement. But you got to just bring it back to the self, bring it back to where the feet are, hone in on your craft and tap into the intrinsic rewards that come with refining your processes and getting better and better at what you do. It doesn't matter what they're doing. It really doesn't. Look at it for inspiration and that's, that's it. I'd say that if you really want to capitalize on that though and amplify what you can learn from those others, if you aren't at their level, then ask them questions. You know, everybody is a mentor. There's wisdom everywhere you look if you want to find it and if you want to actually tap into it. Never be afraid to ask the question. If you're curious about how somebody's doing something, ask. They'll probably tell you. Next question. How do you know when meditation is working? There is a little story in, is it maybe the Tao Te Ching? Maybe it's a Chinese proverb. Um, but a student goes to his meditation teacher and says, my meditation is horrible. I feel so uncomfortable. My legs ache. I'm constantly falling asleep. I can't stand it. And the meditation teacher says, it will pass. A week later, the student returns and says, my meditation practice is incredible. I feel so connected. I feel so alive. I feel so aware. It's just wonderful. And the meditation teacher matter of factly replies, it will pass. So when it comes to understanding if a meditation practice is working for you, it's a constant dance of awareness. Um, when we have an experience that transcends a prior experience, that new experience becomes the standard and the expectation for future experiences. And if we do not reach that same expectation, that same new baseline, <clears throat> then we are going to be disappointed. And so what this means for meditation is that if you sit down and you have a particularly transcendent experience or you have some kind of uh, moment or epiphany, um, out-of-body experience, it's easy to latch onto that, attach to it, and then kind of subconsciously or unconsciously expect that for future experiences, which gets in the way of your practice because now you're going into a meditation with an expectation and that's the easiest way to not get that thing. So the meditation practice for me, I understood that it was working when I became less reactive, uh, less emotionally impulsive, 
when I felt more connected, when I could look people in the eyes and see myself, when I could look at a bird in a tree or a worm on the ground and say, hello, me. It's a matter of connectedness and being able to abandon the conception of, of duality, uh, that there is any separateness between what you see and what you are, what you feel and what you look, like, look at. I'd say that don't put any expectations on it. Just go into it with simple intentions. Maybe your intention is to just sit and be still. Maybe your intention is to explore the nuances of self that come to the surface when the brain has nothing to do but look at itself. The styles of meditation that you get into will help to direct the outcomes that you experience, but removing expectation from that outcome will help you to more freely flow with whatever comes up rather than attaching to those things and then expecting that for future experiences. Another thing that happened with my meditation is before I became less reactive, I actually became more reactive. There was a period a few years ago where I just started to go really deep into meditation. And as you do this, your sensitivity to pleasure and joy it increases. But with that increased sensitivity to joy and pleasure, you also have an increased sensitivity to pain and discomfort and anxiety. And then that contrasts in your head with what you think you should be like because of this new meditation practice. We identify with it and we say, well, hang on, I'm meditating. I'm peaceful. I'm spiritual. I shouldn't be feeling these things. I shouldn't be acting this way. I shouldn't be saying those things. Again, those are all expectations and these biases we have that get in the way of allowing that sensitivity to continue morphing into something we can flow with again. Next question, what do you think about the spiritual effects that music can have on us, the good and the bad? Well, we are energetic beings. We are uh, comprised and composed of frequencies that are vibrating at uh, fast enough speeds to uh, present to us the illusion of solid physical matter. It makes sense that as bundles of frequencies, frequencies can have an effect on us. I think that music and sound in general is a wonderful way to alter your state because good music can change your biological state. It will influence the neurochemicals and neuromodulators and endorphins and endocannabinoids that are released in response to those sounds, which can change that internal state. I think that I'm, I'm always rolling through different styles of music to try and activate a different state, whether it's classical when I'm writing or maybe EDM when I'm doing my bookkeeping. Um, uh, lots of folk and bluegrass if I just want to chill out and get creative and let my mind wander. Um, I do think that mainstream music, i.e. top 20 stuff, it, there's a lot of programming that is delivered within that. Um, things that try and shift the human attention onto things that are essentially keeping you locked into the matrix. The fast cars, the big houses, getting bitches, getting fat stacks of cash, guns. What the fuck are we singing about guns for still? Get over it. So, yeah, I think that Everything is a combination of what you do and what you think about what you're doing. I've got no problem listening to heavy trap and hip hop. And then the next moment, listening to some dude playing banjo by a river. 
But if I'm aware that the essence and the energy behind the lyrics that I'm listening to are geared toward a certain direction, then I can choose whether I tune into those lyrics and their meaning or just enjoy the actual sounds that come along with a heavy bass line. So it's just being mindful about what you consume because everything carries with it an energy and we are beacons that send and receive those those energies and we're really good at downloading things whether we are conscious of it or not. Next question, I'm graduating high school and I'm pretty lost. Any tips on getting life started? <clears throat> Congratulations, pat yourself on the back. You completed high school, this is really exciting. That feeling of being lost is really a sign of growth because it means that your mind is being presented with new opportunities and they might be clashing with the preconceptions and biases and beliefs that were built up until your life now. Be patient with yourself. And I know that's not what you want to hear when you're young. I don't want to hear it either, but Gary Vee talks about acting quickly and being patient. Act quickly on your interests, on your curiosities. Be proactive in the development of those things. And then be patient and not attached to their outcome. Things will always take longer than you expect them to take. And it helps to zoom out and give yourself this greater perspective that you are really at the beginning of it all. Nothing is ever finished. Everything is in a perpetual state of beginning. Don't rush into a college course if you don't know what you want to study. It's a waste of money. And you can certainly develop and cultivate those interests and curiosities without that college degree. And if you want to get into some kind of STEM field or uh, the medical field, then absolutely choose a course that helps to um, give you that foundation and that credibility. But go travel. That's my advice. Go travel. Get a part-time job, work as much as you can, save up some cash, and pick a place on the global map that interests you, whether it interests you because of the landscape or the culture or the philosophy and the history. Just pick a place on a map, go and immerse yourself in that environment, meet new people, spend time in dirty hostels, and just live. You will gain insights that you will carry with you forever. I'm starting my journey of practicing manifestation. Any tips? <clears throat> Meditation. Work on finding reset buttons because I have a lot of thoughts on manifestation. They're... And they're not fully fleshed out whatsoever, like most of my thoughts and ideas. I have no concrete beliefs, so to speak. But manifestation is certainly a combination of neuroscience, dealing with the reticular activating system, uh, some, some metaphysical aspects like the ego and how that comes into play, and then certainly some energetic influences of being in the universe that is energy. And I'm not... Uh, well enough versed in that side of things to give you a solid opinion but manifestation really is the act of a an embodied repetition of an affirmation followed up by applied action that helps to point out more of what you want to manifest disregard more of what gets in the way of that manifestation change the way that you look at the world so that you will see the opportunities that will further lead to that manifestation and in the process train your mind to give you more of what will help you get there. That makes sense. Repetition, 
paired with something that changes your biological state, right? Because we are talking about building new neural pathways. Manifestation is laying down new neural pathways, whether it's in the reticular activating system or the prefrontal cortex, that help to funnel in information that is more beneficial to you than without that manifestation. And to build new neural pathways, we need neurochemicals. We need dopamine, we need serotonin, we need acetylcholine. A little bit of adrenaline goes a long way. These are all chemicals that are released in meditation, in movement, in social connection, through various substances. I'm not going to get into that. I think that wherever you can, you should utilize your own inner pharmacy by engaging in activities and behaviors that make you feel good. Because by making you feel good, you release these chemicals. Those chemicals are all just uh, handymen or carpenters, whatever you want it to be that goes and builds those neural pathways. So the combination of changing your state and with that changed state and the influx of chemicals, applying the repeated manifestations and affirmations through the written word, through the spoken word, through recording yourself speaking it and playing that back over through your headphones, um, and that, and then acting on those things as well, because manifestation requires that action. Uh, information without implementation is hearsay. You need to act on those manifestations, start acting in accordance with the person that you are manifesting, and that manifestation will come to fruition much sooner, much more effectively, much more clearly than without any of that action applied. How do I get rid of fear and anxiety? Hmm. The big question. You don't get rid of it. It's there because you are a biological creature that through hundreds of thousands and millions of years of biological evolution, you had to deal with some serious shit to get where you are today. Without fear and anxiety, you would have got just dragged into the darkness by every mean creature in the night. So that fear and anxiety is just a natural component of the way that you are. So firstly, I would, instead of trying to get rid of fear and anxiety, I would look at your attachment to fear and anxiety or your attachment to their absence because when fear and anxiety come up, is it the fear and anxiety that hurts us or is it our attachment to the absence of fear and anxiety because our attachment to that absence forces this desire into the field that essentially makes our brain live wherever it is not because when we feel a certain way, if our attachment is to feeling the opposite to that way, then when we do feel that way, we reject it, we push it away. And whatever we resist persists, whatever we reject, we accept. It is up to us to confront the things that we've been avoiding and start to change our relationship to those things. Um, in the short term, if you want to immediately address fear and anxiety, move your body. The only thing that your mind cannot argue with is action. If you intervene, move your body, Focus on vagus nerve stimulation, focus on moving your legs, focusing on getting a bit of a sweat going, just something that helps to activate this body. You will help to move through that fear and anxiety because fear and anxiety are there for fight and flight and freeze and fawn. But really, that energy is built to make you move, to, to save yourself. And when you do not move, all of that anxious energy, instead of coursing through your body to be used as energy, goes straight to your mind, and then your mind does the running for you. But when your mind is running and your body is not, then the only place you go is right where you are. So work on developing your own set of reset buttons so that 
when you become aware that your emotional sensitivity, your fear, your anxiety is escalating, you can implement a change in direction that allows you to take that anxious energy and move with it. Your mind will shut the fuck up if you start moving your legs. That's just how it works. Walking is the best anti-anxiety remedy we can do. And it's hard because we don't want to admit almost how much we can change how we feel through these actions because it shouldn't be that easy, you know? But we overcomplicate our own problems and we simplify the problems of others, which is why we're so good at giving advice, which is why I can give advice on all these questions right now because I'm given a single line of code that gives me a pretty simple answer. And later on today, when I have a problem, I'm sure I will overcomplicate that, which is why it's really important to speak to people when you need help. And sometimes the easy answer and the simple answer is the answer. What is the meaning of life? Life is the answer, not the question. Action. Gathering experiences. Simple question. How are you really? I'm good. I'm good. I'm real good. I certainly oscillate. I get very anxious for sure. Um, I don't get despondent. I don't feel hopelessness, but I do get anxious. But again, it's, I, I've developed my set of reset buttons, these tools that I can use to change my state. And through changing my state consistently, I can use that changed state to alter my traits. Those altered traits come through the process of affirmation, manifestation, and developing a deep faith and belief in the process, uh, practicing surrender and acceptance and being able to embrace all of these things that you feel and that you go through without trying to push them away. So how am I? I'm good. And even when I'm not, I am. What's the belief you fall back to when things don't go the way that you intended? That one. Belief in the process. The belief that it is all working out. The belief that even when it seems like it isn't working out, it is definitely working out. That everything we go through, we grow through. And it's up to us to develop a mindset that pulls lessons out of the reflection we have on our prior behaviors and actions and choices so that we may make better ones in the future. So when things don't go the way that I intend them to, I just use that as an opportunity to reflect and see what I could have done better. And if you ask your brain, what could I have done better and what can I do better next time? Your brain will give you answers. Your brain stores everything, it connects everything, and if you sit back and let it voice its opinions on these things, you're bound to find some answers. What motivates you? Being alive, being excited, being curious, learning, sharing, connecting, wisdom, growth, love, all of those things motivate me. I am a motivated person. I just am naturally geared that way. I've been hustling since I was like 15. I started my own photography business. But... What motivates me is not a singular answer, much like any of the answers that I give today. Um, nothing is black and white. Everything is nuanced and infinitely complex, but that makes it simple. What motivates me? Feeling good. What motivates me? Having a good life, having an enjoyable life, connecting with people that I love, sharing wisdom, uh, committing to the journey of growth through exploration and devotion and accountability optimizing people's experience so that they can get more out of life so that they can run their day instead of their day running them. 
That is what motivates me. What are your thoughts on free will? Oof, big questions here today, everybody. My thoughts on free will are not fully formed and they might not ever be. Um, I believe less and less in free will and more and more in the conditions. What I mean by that is if you look at the human brain, any brain, as a algorithm that through the process of experience and gathering in sensory information uh, develops threat and danger response and reaction mechanisms, then it's kind of like this neurobiological ping pong uh, where an experience happens and it shifts the algorithm over this way and then it shifts it that way and it shifts it that way. When I say that the conditions exist, would it be possible for me to make any of the decisions I've ever made without the conditions existing for me to be able to make that decision? And if those conditions exist, then is the final choice that I make an actual choice or was it the only one that was available with that combination of circumstance, with that combination of conditions? So we want to, for example, build a better habit, overcome an addiction, um, say an uncomfortable thing, do the thing that we've always wanted to do. What makes us finally act? Is it just the decision or was it conditions building and building and building until that decision was the only way to go, was the only option to go towards? There's a reason a lot of people only change when things are at their worst, when you're at a precipice. That's where evolution occurs often is when you are at a precipice, when you need to. So the conditions have led to you needing to do that thing. There was no other option. And we can kind of extrapolate that and look at all of the decisions in our lives and say, well, was there any option then? Like looking back and reflecting, okay, yeah, I could have done this, I could have done that. But at the time, you didn't know that. So the conditions didn't exist for you to be able to make that decision. So what do we do with that information? Continue building the conditions that allow us to make better decisions. If we want to become financially independent or we want to uh, shift careers or uh, change our relationship, be more transparent about what's going on, or we want to dive deeper into our passions and uh, proactively develop our interests, then building the conditions means continuing to follow that curiosity and follow that uh, pull from your gut, which consolidates in more conditions that allow you to dive into that thing. Does that even make sense? As I said, this is not a fleshed out thought. Continue doing things that are in accordance with the self you want to be, the life you want to live. If you continue to build those conditions, if you want to launch an e-commerce business, then you build the conditions by signing up with Squarespace or Shopify, not sponsored by the way, um, signing up with a, with a website provider, getting some imagery across the internet, starting to write some copy for how you're going to structure the website, finding the products that you're going to sell. Those are all conditions that are going to culminate in you being able to launch something more effectively, right? And so even this podcast, speaking about this right now, a condition is when you gather a new piece of information that either uh, helps to break apart a prior belief or mentality or gives you more options to expand upon what you already have. If you don't know any meditation techniques, then the conditions don't exist for you to go and do a yin meditation or a yang meditation or a tumo breath meditation or 
a cyclic hyperventilation meditation or Wim Hof or Vipassana or somatic or holotropic. If you don't know those things, the conditions don't exist to allow you to do them. So what would you do? Pick up a book, get on YouTube, listen to this podcast. Now you know about those terms, you know about those things. Use that as an opportunity to learn more about those things. Build the conditions so that you can go and sit down and do a Tumo breath meditation. Free will, overrated. Don't think about it too much. Just do things that make you feel good. Why don't the people know what they really want? Because the people don't know who they really are. Uh, we are just an amalgamation of all the people we've ever spoken to, all the experiences we've ever had, all the content we've ever consumed, all of those things, all of those voices, all of those people. Those are manifestations of their voice that was made by more people that didn't know who they are because the human experience is a combination of all the human experiences. We don't know who we are because we are everybody. But you're recognizing that we can start to drop away what we aren't. The process of finding who you are is usually letting go of who you are not. The people don't know who they are, what they want, because they are still acting in accordance with what other people want. Do you want the big fucking mansion on the beach or do you wanna get in a van and hit the road and be a digital nomad? Do you want to have the big timber desk in the nice office or do you wanna Go and work in a cafe and learn how to make coffee. We have to stop allowing the beliefs and the opinions and the expectations of others to dominate our own. And it's hard to figure out what you want. So you just have to keep following your curiosity, and being proactive in the development of those interests. Passion and what you want blooms in very unexpected ways. You might think that photography is interesting. And so you pick up a camera and you start shooting and you enjoy it. And then you get into the editing side of things. You go, oh, I really like the, the editing side of things. I like color grading. And then you think, oh, well, if I like color grading, maybe I'll film something on the camera. And so you start filming something on the camera. And once you start filming something on the camera, you get into the editing platform and you start to color grade. And then you find that the sound design and creating a sound bed was really what was exciting to you. And all of a sudden, even though you picked up the camera to get into photography, you found that you want to be an audio engineer. But you would not have known that if you did not act on that first curious, creative impulse. So act on those curious impulses, be proactive in the development of those things, and see where it leads. Just to tie back into the beginning of this episode, if you don't know where your curiosity is leading you, good. Where do you find the courage to live the life that you would like to? Through action, just continuing to do it because overthinking is the death of momentum and everybody's going to die. I remind myself of that. I zoom out of my tiny little bioorganic human experience and go, all right, well, there's been a continuous stream of life that is never broken to get to where I am today, but the dirt in the earth is packed full of more life forms than we could possibly imagine much less comprehend. And what does this tell us? All these bones in the dirt that it was for nothing, maybe. Or maybe it was all to get to here. Either way, we can laugh at the absurdity of the pointlessness of existence, or we can despair in it. But it's a choice and you can make that. So if there is no point to what's going on here, then go and live the life that you want to live. 
I understand that that is a blanket statement that in no way addresses the complexity and nuance of our individual circumstances, but it doesn't matter. You have to make the decision anyway. Make it now, make it later, or regret that you didn't do it. Will you allow your life and your memories to become a series of what ifs? Or will it be a series of experiences? You have to decide that and you have to act in accordance with that choice. What is your strongest motivation for enlightenment? I'm not even sure motivation is the right word for that. It's the path, it's the commitment, it's the devotion to squeezing as much from this experience as I possibly can. And if transcending the pedestrian levels of consciousness and the little neural pathways of this self help lead to getting more out of this experience, then that's the direction that I'm going to go in. But enlightenment doesn't just come from being a stone Buddha sitting on a mountaintop and waiting for it to come. Enlightenment can occur through discomfort and pain and suffering and communication and connection and travel and growth and making bad decisions and making better ones in the future. Enlightenment is a moment by moment, day by day, year by year process that can come to you in any form as long as you see that it can. How old are you? I don't even know. What do you mean? Um, biologically, 25 years old. What made you move to far north Queensland? A few reasons. Um, adventure, curiosity. I've never been comfortable in the jungle. I grew up in a high, dry, alpine environment with 0% humidity. Never thought I'd vibe with the jungle, but that was one of the reasons I came here. Like, if I can go and get comfortable in a place that I've never been comfortable, then I'm sure that'll be fun. And it is, and I'm loving it. Uh, there's also great opportunity. Far North Queensland and Cairns, we have an international airport just over there. Um, there's adventure, easily accessible adventure everywhere. It really is like an adventure capital of Australia. And it is abundance in its purest form. Um, the air here vibrates with life, and that helps to remind me of the nature of this reality, which is really exciting and really enjoyable. How do I stop doubting myself? Should I take a chance on myself? Action. Action, action, action. Yes, you should stop doubting yourself, but the only way that that happens is by acting. The doubt will remain until you act through that doubt, and then your brain will give you more things to doubt, but you keep acting. Keep deciding, acting, and adjusting. Your mind is using the past to predict the future. The past does not exist anymore. It is a waste of energy, more or less, to continue ruminating on that past. Active reflection and introspection is differently. Is different. How could I have done things differently? What can I do better next time? That's different from just looking back at the past. And then trying to predict the future is also a waste of energy because it doesn't exist. And when it does, it'll happen now, which is exactly where you are. And it will happen with all of the same tools of reasoning and insight and capacity and capability that you have right now. So trust your ability to figure it out. Not trust, is it going to work out? Trust in your ability to figure it out and then figure it out. You will. Doing is always faster than watching. You will learn far more from engaging in these things than you could ever learn from any of the tutorials. So push it all to the side, push the doubts and the insecurities to the side. Confidence is a matter of 
acting despite how the fear and the doubt and the insecurity and anxiety makes you feel. It means that how you feel doesn't always dictate what you do. And as you continue to do, in contrast to how you feel, how you feel no longer has the same control over what you do. Hope that makes sense. I'm gonna do one more question and then we're gonna bounce. And I'll talk to you later. How do you overcome envy slash FOMO, fear of missing out? By doing things that I wanna do, by living a life that is so enjoyable to me that why would I have any FOMO of anybody else's? This is my life. And that fear of missing out that we experience, we're just projecting our own desire and what we think that thing would be onto that circumstance and scenario where if you just say, fuck it, return to baseline, return to where your feet are and start acting in a way that makes life really enjoyable, you'll have no time to think about what so-and-so is doing and if they're having fun and how much better it would be if we were there. It's again, assessing your attachment to things and getting rid of the scarcity mindset as well. Fear of missing out, why are you afraid? Is it because there's gonna be no more fun in the future? Is it because there is a scarcity of fun and enjoyment out there? No, you have infinite and an infinitely replenishable supply of fun and enjoyment and satisfaction and contentment and excitement within you if you just continue to act. Stop waiting for the conditions to exist for you to act on things that you enjoy and start acting now. Start building the conditions yourself. If you have something that you really love to do, projects that you really like to engage in, then you'll be so wrapped up and so excited by what you can do yourself that you won't have the time or the desire or the attachment to what other people are doing, right? Live the life that you want to live. Our fear should be a fear of missing out on what we can create, what we can do. And the only way to figure out what that is is by starting. Okay, uh, thank you for being here, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed this. I hope that it was helpful. Uh, we should do this again sometime, like maybe next week. This was the first episode in the new podcast studio, which is absolutely not built. Um, I've just got things around me. I've never moved into a new house like this before. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a journey. I thought that I'd be really productive and really efficient as soon as I got into the house, but really I just have more rooms to be distracted in. So again, we expand, we contract, we expand, we contract, we refine our processes and get better for next week. Much love to you all. Thank you for being here. If you enjoyed today's episode.